0: Welcome back to Season 2 of the Archiving AK podcast, a production of the UAA-APU Consortium Library Archives and Special Collections in Anchorage, Alaska. To begin the second week of our Archives Month podcast extravaganza, we have an interview with Dr. David Bowie, a linguist and chair of the English department here at UAA, discussing how he uses Archives and Special Collections in his teaching. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: So I'm David Bowie. I'm a professor in the Department of English, and I'm actually one of the department's linguists. So interestingly, I'm in a Department of English, but I do not have any English degrees. My degrees are in linguistics. I'm originally a product of, of the community college system in Maryland, where I got an associate's. Then I transferred to the University of Maryland, College Park, and accidentally ended up a linguistics major there, which is a long story, but so I won't tell it now, but it's a fun one. And then went to grad school and basically attended school till they told me I couldn't attend anymore. They'd given me all the degrees they could and um, worked a few different places, ended up here at the University of Alaska Anchorage. This is year 13. And most of my research is, my primary research strand is in language and aging, and my secondary research strand is in Western North American varieties of English.
0: All right, very cool. So what's your background working with archives? Did you use them as a student? Um, Do you use them now in your research as a professor?
1: Well, I should probably blushingly admit that I had no idea about special collections when I was an undergrad. Actually, even when I was a grad student. My first experience with special collections was a research project I did early in my career where I was looking at the historical development actually of a Southern variety of English, because that's what I started out working with. Um, I come from the linguistic South. And I discovered that there was a college in Maryland that had a collection of oral histories in their special collections. And And so I got permission to, to listen to them, to essentially to listen to them and to, to see what the linguistic patterns were in those oral histories. But then a few years later, I had this chance conversation with a librarian at the university where I was working at the time and found out about this absolutely mind-boggling collection they had. That's a whole other story, but it's a very weird collection. And I thought to myself, I'm certain that hardly anybody looks at this. Somebody needs to do something with it. And so I started developing a, a course where students could go in and look at this collection and do linguistic analyses. Now I have to know
0: what the collection is.
1: (laughs) So the collection itself sounds like the kind of thing that you would get at a university special collections library, you know, at at a special collections arm of a library. Mm -hmm. And it is the world's largest collection of Canadian socialist ephemera. Okay. And... And that's actually kind of normal until you realize that the university library where this collection of Canadian socialist ephemera is housed is at the University of Central Florida in Orlando.
0: Was it a professor who had a research interest on that topic or? Uh,
1: apparently it's, so this, this Canadian woman, and I, I'm blanking on her name, unfortunately, but there was a Canadian woman who was a socialist in Canada and just kept hold of all of these pamphlets and flyers and everything that got handed out. And uh, and later in life, she wanted them to land somewhere. And of course she checked at the libraries that were around where she had collected all this stuff and nobody was interested and apparently the library at the University of Central Florida heard about them, and for reasons I don't entirely understand, said, "Hey, if you need a place for them, we'll take them."
0: Yeah, so I completely derailed your answer uh, to that question. <laughs> but um, did you have any? Um, was there any more to your background with with special collections or archives?
1: No, that that was really what started it because. Okay i I worked up that course when I was at the University of Central Florida and shortly after that I came here and I was immediately thrown into teaching a whole bunch of stuff that was new courses for me but after I'd been here a few years, I was like, you know what that was fun. I need to develop something like that here and so that's when I um, you know and I had walked past the special Collections office and so, mm-hmm. That's one day I I saw it was open and I walked in and I said, hey, I have an idea. And so now for a few years, I've occasionally been working with y'all in special collections.
0: Yeah, and we're so happy to to work with you on your classes. Why did you decide to incorporate archival material into your classes? Um, You mentioned a little bit about that collection, but what in terms of pedagogical outcomes (laughs) What you hoping for?
1: That sounds so clinical. Because in all honesty, the main reason I like having students work with special collections is not for, you know, a pedagogical outcome whatsoever. It's just because it's fun, right? You're working with stuff that in some cases nobody's ever worked with before. And, And that's just, well, like I said, it's fun. But also, I, I guess the, the primary pedagogical reason is that it allows students to take a project from beginning to end. So the projects that, that I have them do basically, and they start out with a text from special collections and they end up with an electronic version of it. And the fact that you're starting with something where in most, if not all cases that I have my students work with, they've, in some cases, they've never even been scanned before, right? They're purely Mm -hmm. in paper format. So now you all scan them in special collections because you don't want students to break them. That would be bad.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We generally prefer to do that ourselves.
1: But, but basically it allows students to go through the entire process from the discovery of documents, from the discovery of texts to the, the actual figuring out what to do with them. To begin mm-hmm. with, to the transcription of them, to the markup, to figuring out what to do with the weirdnesses that occur in historical texts. Like, you know, what what does it mean that when something's crossed out? What kind of an error was that? Or what kind of a correction was that? Mm-hmm. So it allows them to get into the, the art rather than science side of it in in ways that you know if you're if you're working with i don't know a published short story it's not quite as i don't know primal
0: maybe yeah. kind of,
1: that might be the right word
0: yeah i the one and only english class i took as an undergraduate was a history of english course and we went to the the special collections and got to look at some some old books and do an assignment based off of of one of the books that we looked at and yeah it was it was really cool it was definitely one of the most memorable classes so I think it definitely sticks with people um, getting to handle something that's actually, you know, the thing (laughs) that they're they're studying. So
1: well, yeah, I mean, you've you've got everything. So in the Alaska-oriented stuff that I've I've worked with y'all with, Mm -hmm. you've got everything from personal letters to advertising flyers to travel journals. I mean, you've got this this range of things and and they let you they give you an insight into times and thoughts that you wouldn't have otherwise Mm -hmm. so one example this past spring there were there was a group of students that were working with an advertising flyer for um fishing tours okay and the format of the text was painful for them And so, you know, you talked about pedagogical outcomes, right? It's trying to figure out what to do with something that's formatted like an advertisement.
0: We really try not to torture your students.
1: Well, I think they ended up enjoying it, right?
0: Okay, yeah.
1: Because you have to figure out, so what, what of this advertisement was done that way to catch people's attention? What was done... Because this is information that people need to know. What part of it was done just basically to be pretty? Mm -hmm. And and those are are things that you have to really work through and think through logically. And the really interesting part was the reaction I got from one student who compared it to advertisements that you see for fishing tours now. Okay. Okay. And whereas now there's a lot of marketing toward the experience and you know, you get to go out and fish and catch whatever kind of Mm -hmm. fish it is that you're doing. The, this advertisement was focused the visual environment in ways that you don't get so much now. I mean, it was very clear that this was a fishing tour for people coming in from outside of Alaska, as many of them are now, mm-hmm. but also that it was being done as an introduction to Alaska, sort okay. of, you don't know anything about Alaska, here's the things that we have, and you can catch fish. <laughs> fish right. is just
0: the added bonus.
1: <laughs> exactly. And, you know, to some extent that's the way it still is. Yeah. but. But there's different focuses and, and it can be very subtle sometimes, but all of a sudden you find yourself stuck in 1950, whatever it was when that advertisement was, and people are looking for different things, mm-hmm. or at least people are being sold things differently.
0: Interesting. So many times like advertisements that we have are, I don't know, kind of secondary to the actual... Even, even in something like a program for a production or an event, you know, they'll have advertisements, but those are kind of secondary to the actual program. But they are, they are interesting in their own way.
1: Oh, the state fair program. Mm-hmm. from There was one from 1917, was it? Yeah. And um, it wasn't part of the assignment. But I had students who were working with the 1917 State Fair program compare it to a recent one. And it was clearly in 1917, primarily, I mean, it was called the State Agricultural Fair. Mm -hmm. And it was all about the agriculture. That was the program. Now, if you look at the, you know, the programs and brochures for the State Fair, not so much.
0: I mean, we still got the giant cabbage
1: Oh yeah, we have the giant cabbage, the giant pumpkins, and we have, you know, the barn with all the it, livestock right, being yeah. judged. But then there's other stuff in the programs now. Mm-hmm. Whereas in 1917, it was, here's a list of all of the cows, you know?
0: Yeah, they were the celebrities, not the the musical guests. Right. Guest. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you've mentioned some of the assignments that you've had your students do. And your use of of our collections for your classes is a lot different than kind of what we typically see because it's focused more on the the form and not the content of of what's in the documents. How how did you come up with the assignments?
1: Well, I I wouldn't necessarily say that it's it's a standard sort of assignment across all of linguistics, but certainly within the part of linguistics called corpus linguistics, which is Mm -hmm. not my specialty, but It's, it's one of the, it's one of the clearest applications of linguistics, where you're building essentially a database for analysis. And, and so it's a, it's a skill that's also more widely used It goes beyond linguistics. And so I figure for someone coming through an English program, it's just useful to have some sort of skill in electronic texts. Some sort of background. So, as a corpus linguistics assignment, it's fairly straightforward.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I will, I, and I'm saying that as someone who actually never took a course as an undergrad or grad student in corpus linguistics. But <laughs> there are there are other sorts of assignments where you know you have people. Well, you mentioned um, earlier in the conversation. There are other sorts of assignments where you can have people go in and look at at historical texts and look at the way that things developed over time. Um, Handwriting styles, that's not really Mm -hmm. core to linguistics, but it is kind of an interesting sidebar where writing systems do change over time. Mm -hmm. And so if you have enough time depth, you can certainly get that. You can also use it if you're interested in more of the discourse side of things you can look at the way people interact with others so you know just sticking with the the Alaska documents theme you can look at changes in the way certain things are portrayed over time or i know that in special collections here you have a lot of documents relating to um, the history of oil exploration and extraction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, how is that portrayed, right? So if, and, and I'm purely guessing, this is without having looked at the texts, but I'm going to guess that in the 1960s, that was presented much more as an unalloyed, absolutely unquestionable positive
0: mm-hmm.
1: compared to now. Mm-hmm. And you can get that from the language used in the discussions that you find in the texts.
0: That kind of bridges the gap somewhat between the content and the, the language. That's, that's fascinating. I know we talked a little bit about why you uh, chose to work with special collections, um, but what sorts of benefits do you see to working with, with special collections and how have you seen those benefits in your own classes?
1: I would say that the biggest benefit is, and and here I'm I'm speaking kind of selfishly for my field, right? Mm -hmm. For linguistics, which linguistics is not a very widely taught or taken discipline. Um, Most college students go through their entire college career not taking a course in linguistics and maybe not even knowing what it is. So kind of selfishly being a linguist, one of the things that's really useful working with special collections is that students get to experience the fact that linguistics is applicable to a wide range of texts and that's text writ large. It could even be recordings, right? Mm. But students can get a chance to, to experience how widely applicable linguistics is The fact that you can do all sorts of things beyond just analyzing grammatical structures, Mm -hmm. that you can actually take something that was produced in the wild by a human being and say, All right, so let's look at the language, whether we're looking at the structure or whether we're looking at the content or the form or whatever, let's look at the language and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And Also, just at a perhaps more personal level, I like having students work with stuff from special collections because it keeps it new. Mm. Um, There's always something new to have the students work with. And, you know, I've been teaching College classes for more than 20 years, and I don't want to see the same thing semester after semester. It's fun to get new stuff Mm -hmm. and learn new stuff because you're seeing new stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's certainly true that there's always more. Um, We're always getting new collections in, and even if we could do all of the transcriptions that you guys do in the classes, it would take all of our time. And more.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, transcriptions take a lot of time. mm -hmm. I, there was a, there was a professor now retired who I, who I knew and, and had many conversations with. And he said that he had a challenge that he used to give beginning grad students in his program which was to create an absolutely perfect transcription in a single run through their choice of either a page of handwritten text, or I forget how many minutes of audio. Oh
0: my goodness.
1: And if they could, if they could get a perfect transcription out in one hour, then he would give them a hundred dollars of his own cash. And he said, <laughs> Over however many decades of his career, he never had to pay out.
0: I think the audio would be impossible, at least for me. If you could, you only have a semester to, to do these assignments. And if, if you could <laughs> think of like the craziest, um, most interesting assignment for your students using special collections, what would it be and how would it be different from what you're already doing?
1: Okay. So you forewarned me about this question I and I did. still haven't figured out an answer. I um, mean, you
0: could just say I'm already, I'm already <laughs> doing it perfectly. And <laughs>
1: well, I'm not going to claim that even if I thought I was. <laughs> so actually, as we've been having this conversation, um, there was, there was something I mentioned earlier and it was, okay, let's imagine that we had like a PhD program in linguistics. So, you know, there was something that, that students could spend years working on, getting to a PhD in linguistics, and and there was a student really interested in corpus linguistics. I do think that looking at views of, you know, some local industry, whether it's an extraction industry, like the oil industry, or whether it's Alaskan's views of, of state government, or whatever it is, but looking at, based on archive documents, looking at, changes in attitudes and changes in language use over time would be an absolutely fascinating project. It's also a project that is, I mean, it's not just, you wouldn't be able to do it justice in a semester. There's Mm -hmm. no way that that could be done in a one semester class.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, That does sound, that does sound super interesting. Someone should, someone should do it.
1: (laughs) Someone should.
0: So what advice do you have for other faculty members who might be interested in using special collections in their teaching?
1: One would be, one piece of advice would be to not assume that there's no room for special collections in your teaching. I would have never, you know, unless I, except for that one random conversation I had with a librarian, it was how long ago? It was probably 15 years ago where I found out, you know, we've got this collection and I wish somebody would would ever do something with it. And I started thinking about it and realized, oh, maybe I can, you know, it had never occurred to me that I could use special collections for any of the kind of stuff that I do it's not going to work for every course I mean my linguistics 101 survey I'm not going to pull special collections in Mm -hmm. it's just not going to work but for the for the stylistics course that I teach it works beautifully Mm
0: -hmm.
1: also I'd, I'd say the biggest piece of advice that I can give any faculty member who's interested in using special collections is to just go and talk to the librarians as special collections because it's the librarians who know what they have. The librarians will have really, really good ideas. And if my experience is anything to go by, if my experience at multiple institutions is anything to go by, they will be very excited that you are looking into working with their collections, and they will, they will help you make sure it works. And even if you don't have an idea, it's good to get the conversation started so that once you actually do have an idea, you already know who they are.
0: <laughs> we have lots of ideas for, <laughs> for how our stuff could be used um, in various Courses, um, you know, it's something that we're constantly thinking about, and I think, yeah, it's always worth talking to us. We have all sorts of different types of of material, um, even for something that's more subject focused and not so much looking at texts themselves. We have so many different subjects reflected in our collections, even for things like a, a class that might be, you know, working with data sets, um, those types of things. We we have those types of materials. I think there are so many, so many ways we could be used. People should just talk to us, even if it's just like getting historical photos from us for like lecture slides.
1: Yeah, you know what? I hadn't thought of this in connection with special collections, but it is special collections. So, so my spouse is an engineer, and in one of their graduate classes, so a civil engineer, and in one of their graduate classes, they looked at changing land use patterns uh, in the town where the university was. And if my recollection is correct, Those photos all came from special collections at the university library because they had a collection about the development of the local area.
0: Yeah, we have not necessarily in one collection, but spread over multiple collections. We have aerial photos that were taken at various times. We do have specifically the university area have aerial photos of of its development and we have several collections of surveying Mm -hmm. records any any topic you can think of we have we have stuff well i think that's all the questions i had planned thank you for joining us it's been great having you on we hope to work with you for future classes
1: well you've got me this coming spring definitely
0: yeah yeah we're looking forward to it Thanks for listening. If you want even more archiving AK, you can follow us on social media or subscribe on whatever podcast app you use. We'll be back on Friday with another episode.